thank you for joining us on, on Christmas morning. This morning, I do want to have an abbreviated message, not too abbreviated. We still want to dig into some things and reminded this time of year, the song that's really become very popular, Mary, Did You Know? And I didn't know if you knew, by the way, this is what Kara played a couple weeks ago with the flute. That was, uh, that was excellent. I was kind of thinking about that this morning, but I don't know if you know the story behind the song, but Mark Lowry, who's was a member of the Gaithel vocal band. He's a, he's a comedian. He actually penned the lyrics to this song in 1984, getting ready for a Christmas pageant. And as he penned the lyrics, he scripted these questions. And what he imagined is that he was going to have a, a cup of coffee with Mary. And if he could have a cup of coffee with Mary, what are some of the questions he would ask Mary? And he wanted to know, Mary, what, what did you know? Did you know this? Did you know this? And this is actually where the words came from. And then he gave it to a buddy, actually by the name of Buddy Green, um, who put music to the lyrics in 1991, and then it was recorded initially by a Christian artist in 1991. Well, it's been recorded by tons of people since then, reached, you know, top 100 multiple times. Very good song, obviously interesting lyrics, some very moving words in the song. But this morning, I wanted to kind of do a twist off of this song, and I wanted to actually look at what did Mary know? And, and that might be a little strong, but what could have Mary known? Maybe based on what we see in the scriptures, and I want to look at five things that Mary did know or could have known based on the information that was given to her. The very first thing I want to look at that Mary knew was that she knew that she had a child that was divine and unique, okay? And we're going to just walk through different passages this morning looking at that. And the first place we see this confirmed for her, for, for her is in this angelic appearance by the angel Gabriel. We see that in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to, uh, again, not, not read all of these passages all the way through. We're going to just kind of take bits and pieces out of some verses. But we're going to see that j- just based on the announcement that Gabriel gives her, that she's going to see that this child that she's going to give birth to is unique and not only unique, but also divine. In fact, jump with me down to verse 31. As Gabriel's talking to Mary, Mary says in verse 34, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? See, Mary knew enough about the birds and the bees to know that there was a key stage that had not happened yet. She was not married. She had not been, she had not consummated the marriage. How's this exactly going to work? And this is what the angel says to Mary in verse 35. The angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. And so you see the exact wording is the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And then the, the highest, the power of the highest will overshadow you. And you know, I just think about Mary, a girl, we're going to look at her, her knowledge of the Old Testament. But when she would have heard that phrase, the Holy Spirit come upon you, it's an interesting phrase because if you know your Old Testament, this is exactly how the Holy Spirit worked in Old Testament saints' lives. When Moses identified people to build, uh, especially artisans for the tabernacle, the Holy Spirit came upon them for the purpose of gifting them and animating these, these skills and the skill set through them. We see the Holy Spirit come upon the kings of Israel. and We see the Holy Spirit leave Saul at one point. Then it uh, the Holy Spirit came on King David. You see this phraseology, and God would do this when he wanted to accomplish something special in and through the body or in and through the life of somebody, one of his, his saints. And so we see this, 
this interesting terminology here. And in this case, the, the Spirit of God was going to use Mary's body as a vessel to obviously accomplish something special, to deliver and bring forth the unique God-man, Jesus Christ. In fact, she would literally have a baby without the natural human process of pregnancy. This is a miracle. Obviously, it's the virgin birth. It was prophesied about in the Old Testament. And so there's something unique going on here. And this is kind of the point of what Mary knew, that this was a unique child. And it leads to another some point because then Joseph found out about it. And how did Joseph find out? Well, he found out through an angelic communication as well. Turn with me to Matthew chapter one. Assuming that this engaged or betrothed couple talked, uh, married couple, you know, they, they do talk. <laughs> they share things that they've seen. But we see somehow as we get into Matthew chapter one and verses 18, we're not told how, but Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother, Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Joseph is made aware of Mary's pregnancy. He's going to dissolve the marriage. He's going to dissolve the betrothal, and he's going to pursue divorce because, logically speaking, if my betrothed wife is pregnant, then she was unfaithful to me. That's just how it worked. There was no reason to expect otherwise, but he's going to do it quietly. And if you recall, we looked at the, the wedding process of a Jewish wedding a couple of weeks ago in the book of John. This was the betrothal stage. This was the, the preparation stage. This is when they observed the woman as to her purity. And, and if she was found pregnant during that time, that nine month or year long time, or maybe even longer, then they could proceed to divorce. This is all Joseph was going to do. He was just going to do it quietly. But his plans are disrupted because in verse 20, we read, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord, we're not told it's Gabriel here. It's, it's an angel. It could be Gabriel. It could be a, another angel, but he's got an angelic message here. Appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Again, they, they get this message that this unique child that God bypassed the normal process for pregnancy, utilizing the Holy Spirit to do it. Again, just pointing out, this is going to be a unique child, unique and special child. And then in verses 22 through 23, we see Matthew make the connection that this was a fulfillment of the prophecy in Isaiah 7, 14. Verse 23, behold, the virgin with, shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, whether or not Mary and Joseph knew that she was the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but they may have. They knew the Bible. We're going to see that here in the next point. They knew the word of God, so they may have made that connection, but we're not, we're not told. Obviously, Matthew made the connection later when he's writing his gospel. There is some uniqueness in this birth. In fact, hold your finger there and go back with me to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We got to keep you warm this morning since it's cold, so cold outside. We're trying to keep your fingers warm, flipping back and forth. Luke, Luke chapter 1, Mary recognizes, even in her, what's known as the Magnificat, she recognizes this, this praise that she issues, this song of Mary of praise. She recognizes the uniqueness of his birth and the uniqueness of her role playing a part in this birth. And she mentions this in, in Luke 148. She says, 
For he has, speaking of God, has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. So whether or not that means she connected herself to Isaiah 7, 14, we don't know. But she realizes the uniqueness of what's going on here in this pregnancy and how she's getting to play a part of that. Now, the other thing that we see, just to continue to support that she knew this, notice all the descriptions and stay in Luke chapter one for this. Notice all of the descriptions that the angels gave to Mary either directly or through others. We're gonna see a, one of the messages coming through the angelic message to the shepherds. Look at, look at as we just kind of walk through here, Luke chapter one, starting in verse 32. Notice how the angel says about this child, he will be great. Luke one thirty-two as well. He will be called the son of the highest. Luke one thirty-five. He is called that holy one. Luke one thirty-five. he will be called the son of God. And then this is big. In Luke chapter two, verse 11, we see the angel's message to the shepherds reads this, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. And how do we know that they communicated that to Mary? Well, jump down to verse 17. It says, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child, assuming that they shared the same thing with Joseph and Mary that they shared with everybody else, that this child would be Christ the Lord. And when you look at that phrase in the Greek, literally, he's Messiah Yahweh. He's literally Emmanuel. He's God with us. And so you can see that, that even in this pronouncement, all of these descriptions, she can see that this child is not only unique, but he's what? He's divine. Maybe they made the connection at this point to Isaiah 9, 6. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's read that again. Unto us a child is born, but unto us a what? A son is given. The the distinction there, this divine aspect. Did, Did she know this? It might be saying too much that she knew this. Could she have known this? Yeah. There's, a, there's enough information here to make that connection. And then finally, just as uh, one final point, we'll stay in Luke 1. It's unique to know that as Mary walks in and Elizabeth hears her voice, that the baby jumps in her womb. And not only that, but notice what Elizabeth says here in verse 43 and 44. She says, but why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? See, even Elizabeth, I, I think the spirit of God revealing to her the, the child in Mary's womb and the value and the uniqueness and the divinity of him, she calls this baby of Mary her Lord. Again, all of these things, I, I think, were probably discussed and talked about amongst Mary and Joseph. Something unique's going on here. Something divine is going on here. We'll see what else Mary knew. In fact, the second thing that we can see that Mary knew is she knew the word of God. We can say, I think, with confidence that Mary was a student of the word of God. We don't know her exact circumstances growing up. We do know that in most Jewish families, the daughters did not receive extensive biblical training. That was just not something culturally that they did. So to have any kind of uh, biblical understanding or, or an extensive biblical understanding, it was, it was a daughter who kind of eavesdropped from the next room, so to speak. She was listening as her brothers were being instructed. She was paying attention. She was soaking it in as much as she can. And it's really interesting, if this is the case in Mary's, and we don't know, but, but it makes her understanding the Word of God even that much more impressive. In fact, you get a, a really good picture of it. I mentioned it earlier. This is uh, her praise to the Lord in Luke 1, 46 through 55. It's become known as Mary's Magnificat. She knew the Old Testament scriptures. 
What we're going to see is when we read this, and I want to just go ahead and read the whole thing, but I want to give you a preview so you can be looking for the wording. But this, this prayer, this song of praise, has strong similarities with Hannah's prayer of praise in 1 Samuel 2. You can kind of jot that down and maybe compare that later. But it also, she also uses or alludes to at least 12 other Old Testament passages in this song. She just weaves this together. Now, did she sit and prepare this, or is this just a burst forth of praise? We don't know, but it is something recorded for us in the Word of God. So let's read that in mind. You're going to hear bits and pieces of Psalms. You're going to hear bits and pieces of Isaiah, Habakkuk, Exodus, Genesis, 2 Samuel, and Jeremiah. All you can trace through this song of praise. And so Mary said in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit is rejoiced in, my, in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to his fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And so you can just see this, this filled with the word of God. Even though Mary was likely a teenager when she was pregnant with Jesus, that's uh, when you, you do that research, she was likely a teenager. You can see already at this stage of her life, she was a very spiritually minded young lady. And and it just shows, I think, that she responded to the Lord. She responded to his word in her life. She took it very seriously. In fact, I I love the way, even in this Magnificat, if you go back to verses 52 and 55, and we're going to see this more clearly in terms of what's revealed to her, but you're going to see that she's making connections to the uniqueness of her child to both the Abrahamic and the Davidic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant is, is that covenant. It's got three major provisions, and then there's expansions of those three provisions throughout the Old Testament. That covenant, if you know it well, you got your clothesline for the entire Old Testament. You really have your clothesline for the entire Bible. It's the, it's the meta-narrative. Because what, were, what was promised in the Abrahamic covenant? Well, land, a seed, and blessing. One of the provisions of the Abrahamic covenant that was expanded upon in the Davidic covenant was this seed provision. We're going to look at that more as we go through. But look at verse 52. She says, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. And so you can see this, this idea that her child is going to rule over others. I know it's, it's a generic statement there, but you can see a concept of this connection to the Davidic covenant. Obviously, we're going to look at the, what the angel told her back in chapter one, so you can see where, where maybe she's making that, that connection. And then in verse 55 of her Magnificat, she says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Again, that reference to that seed provision in the Abrahamic covenant. So you can see this, this young girl knows the word of God. She's making connections to her history. And so it's very impressive. And I love her response to the angel. I'm sure Mary uh, still had a lot of questions. I would. (laughs) You know, literally, how do you raise God? I mean, do I have to, am I going to have to potty train him? I mean, just like simple things that we would wonder about Mary. But I love her answer because it's just, it's this response of faith. And I want to look at that a little bit more closely. Let's read it. Then Mary said, verse 38, 
Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Wow. That's, uh, that's impressive. I mean, if any of you made that decision on a day-to-day, moment-by-moment basis in your Christian life, you would be doing well. That is, that is a young lady walking by faith, facing the unknown. And in fact, I think her, her phrase here is the equivalent of what we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's exactly what Mary did. Her mindset was a faith presentation of her body. She says, my body is here, Lord. Do what you want to in and through my body. Now for Mary, that was a being impregnated by the Holy Spirit and then delivering a child. That was her faith presentation of her body. We're to present our bodies every day, every moment of every day, just like she did. She's a great example of this faith presentation. Be it unto me, Lord. Here I am. I'm available. That's really the mindset of her. And then she says, let it be to me according to your word. It's one of the things we don't think about a lot for for Mary is, can you imagine the type of social stigma this would cause her entire life? It's it's one thing for an angel to appear to her. She knows what the truth is. It's one thing for an angel to appear to her husband. He knows what the truth is. But everybody else, they're like, sure. Yeah, whatever, Mary. Okay, if that's the story you want to go with, okay, whatever. And you can imagine the potential social stigma that would hang over her her entire life. In fact, we know even in Jesus's argument, discussion with the Pharisees in in John chapter 8, remember they're going back and forth, tit for tat, tit for tat. And then one of the things they say, well, at least we weren't born of fornication. So it was out there. <laughs> the word was out there. And you imagine a woman who was, whose heart was pure before the Lord, who was presented to the Lord, who wanted nothing more than to please the Lord, to be accused and ridiculed and looked down upon her, her entire life, anyone that might have known the story. And her mindset is, you know what? I don't care, Lord. I want your will. I just want you to be glorified. And I know she probably had tough days where that got to her. If she was a normal human being, and she was, I'm sure there were days that that got to her. But her mindset is, you know what, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm available. What a, what a great example of somebody walking by faith. A third thing that Mary knew is that Mary knew that her child was going to be a king. She knew he was born for royalty. And not just any old king, but the fulfillment of a Davidic covenant. And when you start to look at that passage, it means he was going to be an eternal king reigning over an eternal kingdom. You're like, wow, how did she know that? Well, again, let's go back to what the angel tells her in Luke chapter 1, verses 31 through 33. He says, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God, notice, will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Gabriel reveals a few things to Mary. First, he's going to give him the throne of his father David. And again, this is a direct reference to the Davidic covenant. Let's go back there to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. And so you can see the angels really connecting some dots here for Mary. 
2 Samuel 7, we're gonna, we'll just bounce around here because some of this is talking about Solomon specifically in the Davidic covenant. But look at verse 12. When your days are fulfilled, speaking to David, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Now he, he goes on to talk about Solomon here, but jump down to verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This is what he goes on to say, that the angel, that you will reign over Jacob's house forever. And then the third thing he says is of his kingdom, there will be no end. There's an eternal king reigning over an eternal kingdom. And oh, guess what, Mary? That's the child that you're going to be bearing. He's the one. He's the man. He's the one that's going to be the fulfillment of this seed promise in the Davidic covenant. We also learn about this eternal kingdom in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7. We'll just read these verses. And in those, the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Again, this tie into the Davidic covenant. Mary, again, based on her scriptural knowledge, maybe she knew this. Maybe she was making these connections as well. Daniel 7 brings in this child. He's referred to as the son of man here, but Daniel 7, 13 through 14. I was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man that we can look back now and say, that's Jesus Christ. This, this is the baby that Mary was pregnant with. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the ancient of days. That's God the Father. And they brought him near before him. Then to him, Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. Mary had, I think, some idea of this just based on what the angel shared with her in Luke 1. Again, whether she made the connection to Daniel, we don't know, but it was there. It was there for her to make that connection. We also knew, and uh, we mentioned this earlier, that Mary knew that this child would in some way overthrow human governments. We saw that again in her, her song of praise. But one other thing that might have been interesting fits with what we looked at last night is the wise men. Remember in Matthew 2, the entire reason for their visit that they probably communicated to Mary because they communicated it to Herod was, we have come to worship the king of the Jews. This is exactly what they did. And when they saw the child in Matthew, well, let me read 2.2 2 first, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And then if you jump down to Matthew 2.11, when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. So Mary is seeing all this stuff. She's hearing this about her son. She heard it nine months earlier from the angel. Now she's hearing it from wise men. She's hearing all sorts of stuff. She's getting all sorts of revelation regarding her son. And so I think it's safe to say that she knew or could have known that her child was going to be the, the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant, that future king. The fourth thing that, that I think Mary knew or could have known is that her child would be the savior of the world. And let's go back for that to Luke chapter one and verse 31. Again, this one to her is a little bit subtle, but then we'll, we'll see that the angel who appeared to Joseph expanded on this concept. And again, had they communicated, this would have been something that she would have understood as well. But Luke one thirty one says this, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. The name Jesus means Jehovah 
is our help or Jehovah saves. That's what his name literally means. Now, whether or not she connected to, this Genesis, to Genesis 3.15 or not, we don't know. That's probably reading too much into the text. But there is significance in the meaning of this name that could have caused her to realize it. And like I said, that was maybe subtle, but Matthew 121 is not as subtle. Uh, the angelic announcement to Joseph here, using his name as well, because he goes on to expand on this. He says this in Matthew 121. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. A very clear declaration of what Jesus would do. This is exactly what the angel told him. And so again, if Joseph shared this with Mary, you can imagine, you know, she said, Joseph, the angel told me to call him Jesus. And Joseph said, the angel told me to call him Jesus. Did he tell you why? No, why? Because he's going to save our people from their sins. Like they're communicating this. So she could have known that he was going to be the savior of the world. To have her need a savior implies what? People need saving. And, and that's God's opinion. You know, I, I, I was told long ago, I used to work in sales. And I was told in sales, if anyone ever offers you a piece of gum, take it. If they ever offer you a mint, take it. Because they know something you don't know. <laughs> like your breath is bad. Just, just always take a piece of gum when it's offered to you. That's, that was what they told us in sales. Well, how about when the God of the universe says you need a savior? Probably, probably ought to take his, his savior. Probably ought to take him at his word and trust in his plan to save you. And it probably ought to take him at his word that you need saving, that, that something awaits you that you need deliverance from. And obviously from the word of God, we know the wages of sin is death. And that's uh, the, the penalty results in an eternity in hell. God wants to save us from that. So he sent a savior to do that. How does he do it? Well, the savior pays the exact penalty that you and I deserve. That's the gospel message. And we can enjoy the benefit of what he accomplished by simply trusting in him, relying upon him that he died for me. That's it. And that he rose again. He will save, this savior will save specifically by paying the penalty to deliver us from the wages that we earned or deserved. They could have known this. Again, saviors do what by definition? They save you. This is why God sent a savior. We needed to be saved from this sin penalty. The other thing, now go back to, uh, with me now to Luke chapter 2. We're going to see that, that as Jesus is born, they're getting all of this revelation. Now they bring Jesus to the temple to circumcise him, to offer the offerings. And then a, a, a man takes Jesus up by the arms named Simeon. And Simeon says this in, in Luke chapter 2, verse 30. Well, let's, let, we'll just read his, his whole statement here, verse 29. Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Oh, that is just such a great statement because Simeon got it. I don't know if he meant to get it this way, but he got it because salvation is not in a process. Salvation is not in herding people to the front of a church. Salvation's in a person. Simeon got it. He's, he's literally holding the baby and saying, I've seen God, I've seen your salvation. He's right here. Jesus Christ, this person is salvation. And then he goes on to say in verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Now did Mary and Joseph hear what he just said? Look at verse 33. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. See again, they could have known that 
this child was the Savior. And I think they did know at some level. And then finally this morning, I want to look at the fifth thing that Mary knew, which is a little bit, uh, I think, a little bit tougher, uh, honestly, a little bit tougher of a point, because she knew that Jesus's life would bring her great joy and cause her great sorrow. She knew this uh, early on. I think this is probably true of most mothers. (laughs) When you have a child, you're like, yeah, they're going to bring me great joy, but they'll probably bring me great sorrow at some point as well, even if it's just they got a bad grade because they were lazy in school or whatever it is. But this is, this is a unique joy that this child would bring Mary, and I think a unique sorrow, a unique grieving that Mary would face. In fact, go stay there with Simeon, because uh, Simeon doesn't just end there on a positive message. He could have just end there. It says in verse 33, they marveled at what he said. But then Simeon's like, oh yeah, one more thing, <laughs> basically. Verse 34 in Luke 2, Simeon Bless them. And he said to to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Not only would Jesus be influential, this is that joy. Wow, my son's going to be influential. He's going to make a difference. He's, He's going to bring the nation, the entire nation, to a point of decision. But then he prophesies that a sword would pierce your soul, not, not your body. He's speaking figuratively. He's saying, you're going to experience some incredible grief. He uses a, a word here that was like a javelin. It's like a spear, uh, basically, is what Simeon describes. And he says, it's going to pierce her. Go through. It's going to pass right through your soul. And you, just, you get the visual that he's trying to communicate. And the structure of the verb that he uses here is it's a future indicative. It's, it means it's guaranteed to happen. Mary, there's going to be a day out there that it's going to feel like a javelin just ripped right through your soul. That's what you've got to look forward to. you imagine that? That'd be terrible. You know, I think some people would say, well, I would love to know the day of my death because then I would live, you know, differently and I would, you know, do. Honestly, that would be a total bad thing. <laughs> it's just living every day in light of the fact that you're going to experience this great grief. I'm just reminded of how this came true for Mary. If you, you can hold your finger there, I'm just going to read this first. But John 19, 25 tells us that Mary was at the foot of Jesus's cross. Verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. And had she waited around longer when he breathed his last breath and cried out, it is finished. Shortly after that, it says the soldiers breaking the legs of the others being crucified with him went to Jesus, didn't break his legs because they thought he was already dead, but they did what to Jesus? They pierced him. They pierced his side. So she may have gotten to see even that. What a, t- what a tragic prophecy for her, but a true prophecy that she would see it. Did she know she was going to have great joy and great sorrow? Yeah. I mean, if she was paying attention she could have seen this. You know, it's also interesting, and, and, and this is a, a little bit more of a, maybe just a generic comment, but when you go to Mark chapter 3, verse 21, Mark 3, verse 21, we illustrate this, this point of great sorrow or grief in, in Mary's life, but in Mark 3, 21, Jesus's ministry is, is getting more and more popular, but we read in verse 21, but when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, he is out of his mind. That phrase there, uh, his own people, 
could be translated as family. And it's when it's family and heard that. Now, was Mary there? We don't know. But she is mentioned, if you jump down to verse 31, she is mentioned with his brothers and sisters there by name. And it's right in the same context. Potentially, she was there. There's this, this time in Jesus' ministry, you know, as he's grown now, that, that Mary sees her son, or, or maybe she sees uh, the popularity of his ministry, and his siblings are reacting They're like, our brother is out of his mind. We need to protect him from himself, is the idea. And they thought he was out of his mind. They were were trying to physically grab him. Whether or not Mary was there trying to grab him as well, we don't know. Maybe she had forgotten all the promises. Maybe she just, her her love for her son, her concern for his safety just overwhelmed her in that moment. She said, we got to get him out of here because he's in danger. We don't know. Or maybe like many mothers, when siblings fight, it grieves you. It provides great sorrow. Maybe she was grieving because his siblings didn't understand his full purpose on earth. And now they're trying to stop him. Again, these are the kind of things that I think are born out in the life of Mary. And then finally, and this is, again, this is something, did Mary know this? We don't know. Could she have known this? Possibly. Because she did have a good understanding of the Old Testament. It's very possible that she may have known from Daniel's prophecy that her son would be killed. That was a very common uh, understanding for those who are an astute Bible student from Daniel chapter 9 that he would die. In fact, let's go to Daniel chapter 9 as we wrap up this morning. Daniel chapter 9 verses, uh, let's start with verse 25. We'll just read 25 and 26, although you can look at that whole section. It says this, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks the street shall be built again in the wall, even in troublesome times. Now, all of that was history to Mary. She could have put a date on that in her mind. The, the rebuilding of the walls, the rebuilding of the streets, this, this command to rebuild Jerusalem. And then in verse 26, and then it says, And after the 62 weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And then we'll leave it there for our point. But you imagine if, if she did the math on this prophecy... If she literally did the math on this prophecy, she could have a mental countdown to the day that her son was going to die, at least be in the ballpark and know when it was coming up. Imagine having that knowledge as a mother. Again, we don't know that she did, but it's definitely possible that she did. And how, just how difficult that would be. Well, I'm sure we could develop some other things that Mary knew, but that's it for the morning. We've, we've looked at five of those. And I, and I hope in some ways that it's like a, we took a little biographical sketch of Mary this morning. And sometimes I, I think with, with the life of Mary, it's, it's easy to overreact to her life because of the overimportance that some people put on her life. They want to worship Mary. They want to elevate her to a level that the scriptures don't elevate her to. But I think there's a lot to appreciate about this woman. There's a lot to, to emulate, if you will, in this woman, in her life, and just appreciate and honor her for the role that she played in delivering the Savior to us so that he could live a perfect life and so he could die for our sins and rise again. So a lot to really enjoy with Mary. And I think, as I mentioned earlier, what a great example uh, of a woman who by, by faith presented her body to the Lord and just how, what a great application that is for each one of us as we just go about um, our week as we go about the rest of our day, that we would go and do likewise. We would be just like Mary in that way and just be available to the Lord. 
just mentally by faith presenting our bodies to the Lord. What a great application, I think, to take out on this Christmas morning. And Merry Christmas and go enjoy your families uh, the rest of the week. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just this truth about Mary and just what a great example her life provides. Uh, What an interesting recording of the details here of her life and how she lived and how she responded to your truth. And so grateful you recorded that in the scriptures for us to see. And what our heart's desire is, is to go out of this room and just be available to you, just like Mary was. We want to be available to you, not just in special occasions, but moment by moment each day. And we want you to be glorified in each and every life here, not only here this morning, but those watching online as well. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.